This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy Monday. So happy you're here with us. And guess why we're all here, OG? Because we didn't have to pay attention to this international situation as much as... Is that what we call it now? The situation? The, I think that used to knows. be a guy on MTV, but, but now it's a guy in Russia. Yeah. He's just called the situation. And that'll escalate to a police action. He's the situation now. No longer just on the Jersey Shore. No. It's, uh, yes, spreading internationally, in sadly. Hey, got to give a big uh, shout out at this tense time to the men and women of our armed forces, keeping us all safe. Let's all go. Stay safe, everybody. And let's stack some Benjamins together. Hello there. Peabody here. And this is the Wayback Machine. We're traveling through time. And this is my boy, Sherman. Speak, Sherman. Hello. Good boy. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what was the last bandwagon you were tempted to jump on? Crypto? NFTs? Dating Pete Davidson? Not every new fad is a great idea. Just ask Ariana. Here to help us make better decisions about following the crowd, we have, from the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column, Spencer Jacob. We'll have a TikTok minute about NFTs that'll make you say WTF. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Sarah with a question about helping the unbanked. And we'll also feature a disturbing headline about bank loans. And finally, I'll roll out my incredible trivia. And now, two guys whose bandwagon you'd do well to hop on. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Happy Monday, stackers. I am Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. We're so happy to help you roll into a new week. Oh, gee, we've got the coffee cups full. I got my... Thankfully. <laughs> I feel like it's like four in the morning. It is. We got to get up early to make the donuts for everybody, OG. That is our role. That is our job. Good so night. that stackers can sit back, relax, and have a fantastic Monday. You think we're the first voices some people are listening to on a Monday morning? We're the alarm clock? Yeah, I think. <laughs> Live! <laughs> oh, I think I'm awake now. 
<laughs> I am totally awake. Well, if you're not awake yet, we're going to wake you up with, a, as Doug, you so eloquently said, a disturbing headline about uh, car loans. Yeah, getting back into some messes there. Some people are. We're going to keep you out of that entanglement. Uh, and then Spencer Jacob here from the Wall Street Journal. You read the Hurt on the Street column. Who are you talking to? Yeah. You. <laughs> well, I read it too, Joe. Okay. <laughs> I steal OG's copy, read it, and then iron it flat so it looks fresh, and I fold it back up again and put it on the porch. He can tell. It's okay. As long as it's on the porch and not on the road, which is okay. Yes. Well, it's good. More people need to read Spencer Jacobs' work. We're going to hear about a new uh, book he has out that maybe this uh, GameStop thing didn't go down the way that we thought that it was going down. But before all that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Spencer Jacob from the Wall Street Journal coming up. But first, let's roll into our headline. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us also from the Wall Street Journal. We're, sur we're surrounded today, OG, by Wall Street Journal. But uh, Ben Eisen wrote this one. Where are banks finding borrowers? Guess. Guess, OG, where they're finding borrowers. Corner store. Uh, on the car lot. Big banks are pushing deeper into auto lending. Bank of America said last year, was a record for auto loan originations. Wells Fargo and company posted three straight quarters of records. It said the fourth quarter was up 77% from a year earlier. So the two most uh, hated banks in America. Hey, you know what? Let's get into car loans. We've got a great way to Darth Vader some people. Let's uh, let's do some some auto lending. Auto lending is a dangerous thing, OG, and buying a new car can also be a dangerous thing. And I feel like this is just a disaster for a lot of uh, unsuspecting people waiting to happen. Well, uh, let's just assume that people who are buying cars are actually doing it because it's time to buy a car and not just because there's a whole bunch of stimulus money lying around. But why wouldn't you buy a new car right now, considering the prices of used cars? 
No, that is interesting because when you look at the price of a new car, the reason why people go used versus new usually is because a car depreciates. This is a, a number from bankrate.com. A new car loses between 15 and 20% of its value each year. But a lot of that, as you know, is right off the top. For like the first three years, and then it just kind of flattens out, right? Well, it slows down. It doesn't flatten out, but it does slow down. Sure. But those first yeah. three years are monster. So when you just look at that alone, buying a used car makes sense. But I'm with you right now. The used car market right now is en fuego. Yeah. <laughs> there is, it's a great time to get very low financing if you need it and get a deal that probably makes up for that 15 to 20%. Well, I'll give you an example. I just got a letter yesterday from the Toyota dealer here in Dallas uh, by our house. So we bought a Toyota minivan in 2016. It's a 2017 that we bought at the end of 16. So it's five about five years old, right? Because they built you a car in the future. They did. That's how that works. <laughs> it is. That's what type of customer you yes. are. They're like, don't tell anyone, but this one's next year's. Like, isn't this the, yeah, I could, I could never understand why they come out in the summertime with next year's car. I just back to, back to the letter you got What together. Quiet. Boys. The adults are talking just because we invite you here. Doesn't give you the right to interrupt me. Well, stop. I got a whole bag of right here. Any who's Joe. <laughs> so get this letter from Toyota. It's a five-year-old minivan. We bought it for $40,000. It's got 70,000 miles on it, and they want to give us 32000 to trade it in right now. So 70,000-mile minivan, five years old, wow. $32,000 to trade it in. Now, the problem, of course, is the brand new one costs fifty. Yeah. Right. If you can get it. If you can get it. So if you can get what you want, if it happens to be on the lot, or you can order it kind of in advance, why would you not get a new one now if you can afford it. Even, I mean, frankly, even if you weren't in the market for one, because you're resetting that clock to, to your point of like starting over again. I just got to use this car for what five years. What do you mean you're resetting that clock? That, you know, that depreciation schedule. You're, yeah. you, you know, you're kind of starting over again. But if you can get something where you're not paying out of, out of pocket another 15,000 bucks. Or if you are, I mean, I just start, so I mean, think of it this way. If I got 30 grand for this minivan, I used it for five years for 2000 bucks a year. I mean, that's a pretty inexpensive vehicle. Cost. I agree with that, but I remember a time and I think this depends right where you are on the economic scale, because to some people, OG, just preserving that cash flow is going to be the all important thing. Sure. I mean, if I can preserve cash flow first, but, but, but I think you're also right. If I need a decent ride and I've been paying out of pocket X amount of money and the actual cost of this loan is pretty damn close to zero. Yeah. I mean, interest rates are super attractive. So if you're going to do it, now's the time. It would be better if you could put it together with buying a used one yeah. and low interest rates. But the reality is that if you go look at the used car lot, it's just as bare as the new car lot. And right. if you do find a new car or a used car, it's going to cost damn near as much as the new one does. Yeah. Right. Or there's seriously something wrong with it. That yeah, you don't know yet. Why not have that five-year warranty or you know whatever comes with brand new cars? I don't. Yeah, I mean, Doug, it's a weird situation. I had the uh, back to the comment I made earlier is if you can find the replacement vehicle. I had the El Camino in for service the other day and got approached by a salesperson. Hey, would you be interested in trading that in? And 
yeah, hey, I'm listening to all offers. And so the guy takes me through the whole thing about what it's currently worth. And it was a lot higher than I would have guessed. And we get to the very end and he said, but here's the problem. I can't get you another El Camino like the one you're driving right now. Like, why the hell did you even approach me? If you can't get me a vehicle, then why? But they are clamoring for inventory on their used uh, on their used lot, but they don't have anything to replace it with. It's it's they only have half the equation. And so I will more than likely because OG told me um, some of the more sage advice he's given me. Uh, this may be the only time in history where the El Camino is an asset rather than a liability. And, and it might be. I may just end up buying the El Camino outright, finally paying off that 35-year loan I've got on it. <laughs> well, that happened to my mom. I mean, when she she had a lease and went to go turn it in, and it was more advantageous to buy the car at the buyout lease price and then resell it to the dealer than it would have been to just trade it in. She had a call option for, for all you that's, Redditors, that's exactly all you right. Wall Street boarders. She had a call option on her, uh, on her vehicle. And if the market doesn't change in the next eight or nine months for me, I'm probably doing the same thing. Yeah. Might even be able to do it earlier. But you, you know that there are a bunch of people though, OG, who do not understand the terminology, don't know what they're getting into. And it's people at car lots, man, especially when you're dealing with the new car dealer and not just some dude down the street. Don't get me wrong. The dude down the street's going to try to get his best deal or her best deal. But when it comes to the car dealership, these people are ninjas. Like they do this all day, every day. They have classes before the dealership opens every day on how to make sure that they're more profitable. So I think you got to go in there knowing some of the basics. Well, most of the money comes from the financing and from the maintenance. There's not a lot of money in actually selling the vehicles. But I also think that you need to know how to make your best deal. If you don't know how to make your best deal, if you haven't done any online shopping, like I've got this US News and World Report pulled up. And I think these are important. First of all, number one, know your budget. Start with your budget. not the and, and your budget, by the way, is not the monthly payment. It is. The monthly payment could be important, but don't get talked into a bigger loan. You know, we're looking at eight-year loans in some cases now for cars, OG. I mean, think about the depreciation on a brand new car eight years from now. It'd be eight times 20%. You said that earlier. Nice. I was waiting for Doug to add in that one for us. Uh, then second, find the right vehicle. Third, learn the language and just the language on financing alone. Remember our, our Friday show uh, a couple of weeks ago, where we were talking about the Len Penzo, uh, from lenpenzo.com was talking about the difference between APR and APY, right? Right. Just, just knowing some of the, the terminology that people use, uh, to your point, OG, buy a car before you need a car is I think something good, but on the other side, don't buy too soon. Know your credit score before you go in, because a few points on your credit score is going to help you a lot. And and, and if you have a credit card, I think, man, I feel like every credit card in my wallet now provides free credit scores, where seven, eight years ago, that was not the case. Yeah, pretty much. And I would also say, make sure that you look at those comparison shopping sites. If you're a member at Costco, for example, you can go down the Costco car purchase program and it will kind of guide you through like, here's what we think is the best deal. In fact, even do all of that negotiating up front and say, if you take this you know, piece of paper into the dealership, this is the Costco price. Well, and we even talked about, I use Navy Federals, our, our sponsor's True Car. True yeah. Car, yeah. So there's a lot of relationships there to be like that. When you were talking about credit cards, I was like, is he going to say to put your car payment on a credit card? 
(laughs) I think that you should put your, you know, to get all your points. I was like, boy, that is, that's good. Do that. He sold his soul to some marketer. Yeah, probably not. Not today. Good stuff here. We will have a lot of links on our show notes page. Even more. We'll deep dive into this in our 201, our newsletter, uh, where we do deep dive stackybenjamins.com slash 201. We're also running, by the way, a contest at the 201. So if you're signing up, referring other people, giving away a Sonos speaker, five, five subscriptions to Tiller Money and uh, five of one of our favorite board games, Franklin's Fortunes. Uh, so stackingbenjamins.com slash 201 for that. Hey, it's time for our TikTok Minute, the time when we dive into a TikTok founder talking either about something kind of eye-rolly. Believe it or not, OG, it's kind of easy to find eye-rolly stuff on TikTok and Instagram Reels. Don't know if you know that. But sometimes we also run into some absolute brilliance there. Some good stuff. This one's going to be a good one. Well, let's see. This is uh, Richard Telfea on Instagram Reels talking about NFTs. Is this the magic of selling NFTs? I have 2 million Ethereum and I create an NFT. I use my $2 million to buy my own NFT. So I still have $2 million in Ethereum and I also have an NFT piece that is worth $2 million according to the price history. I sell my NFT to someone for only 200K or a 90% discount. And Andy still owns the NFT, sells an NFT and uh, now he's at 2.2. I saw this on Twitter. So this gets no, no points, no credit. This is an F. This is plagiarism. And, um, cause the Twitter person came up with it before the real person came up with yes. it. Is that the deal? I, the I Twitter person would points. never steal from the real person at all. I would. I award you no points. <laughs> never May happens. God have mercy on TikTok your TikTok people would never dance to the same music as somebody is dancing on an Instagram reel. I get so tired of seeing the same people do the same stuff. But uh, you know what's funny? I had to work my, I work my head around that math. I seriously had to work my head around that math. And by the way, looking you, at, you didn't get it. looking at the comments at first, all kinds of people going, wow, Gary V. Gary V, like everybody pinging Gary V so that he can come in and sweep down and talk about why this might or might not make sense. You know how it finally made sense to me? Change it into cars. Like we're, we're talking what, you about of the word fraud. That yeah. <laughs> no, 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 because it, it isn't even fraud. Think about this. I have my car in my driveway. I've got my Equinox sitting in my driveway. I've got $10,000. It isn't worth $10,000. I've got it's worth 20 now. I've got 350 bucks <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting in my bank account. I buy my own car from myself for 350 bucks. And then I discount it and sell it to my neighbor for $35. Now I have $385 in my bank account. That's what's happening. Like if you change it from this crypto mumbo jumbo to your car. Except for the fact that NFTs have price history and... and- if you're picking up something that was for sale before, you know, it's like getting a big discount. You it's, think it's, you're getting a huge discount. Yes. That's the fraud part of it. Gotcha. This is not a great idea. No, it's not a great idea anyway. And you're, you're seriously, I mean, don't get me wrong. You're making 200,000 bucks on this deal. Even if it's stealing 200,000 bucks. Even if it, even if it, no dude, it is eight bit artwork. Who doesn't want eight bit artwork that I can't put on my wall. I think you can print it. And your dot matrix printer. You can 3D dot matrix print that. Awesome. Thanks for uh, sending these in to us. Uh, if you've got a TikTok minute that you want us to explore an Instagram reel, head to stack, Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. 
Who is going to have a TikTok? You know what? I really need the Stacking Benjamins guys to dive into this TikTok. I can't tell you. I just don't get it. It's too highbrow for me. It's just just (laughs) freaking Ivy League intelligence on TikTok. And I need these two to get to the bottom of it. Well, they're asking Gary V. They might as well ask us. Yeah. No, uh, uh, we get lots of people, Doug, actually, that send us TikToks. Usually the ridiculous ones. But send yours. Joe at StackingBenjamins.com. Coming up next, we have the man behind the herd on the street, Wall Street Journal column. Spencer Jacob is here. Oh, gee, we heard a lot about GameStop, AMC, and how we were actually having a Robin Hood moment. Remember that? And not Robin Hood like the brokerage account that rips people off. I'm talking about a true Robin Hood moment where we were a band of merry people going after these big, huge investors, steal from these crooks give to the average man how'd that work out well spencer jacob's gonna walk us through it and uh don't want to spoil the ending but it might not be what you think it is fascinating read on the topic we're gonna explore a lot of that today but first doug i think you got some trivia for us right i do have trivia joe let's get after it Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I'm thinking I should start a column like Spencer's called Overheard in the Basement. Things like, does your parole officer know you're here? And why is my finger so spicy? You know what I just overheard on the street? That there's not going to be enough money for my social security. You know, because I'm such a young person. And what the heck? On today of all days, which is National Appreciate Your Social Security Check Day... If you do appreciate your social security check, who should you thank? Hey, that's a good trivia question. Which president signed the social security check into law? Was it Franklin Pierce, FDR, or good old Donnie Trump? I'll be right back with the answer after I check my benefits calculator at ssa.gov to see if I can afford the massage chair that vibrates. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, stackers, if uh, messing around during the holiday season 
messed with your money, well, then it's time to take back control because we are now about a 12th of the way through the year, aren't we? Navy Federal Credit Union can help you take control of your finances over the holidays. They have multiple savings and investing options to help you get closer to your financial goals. One option people like is their low intro APR on their platinum credit card. Now, a credit card is not going to help you get out of debt, but the low interest rate and balance transfer can help you pay less interest to the man while you are climbing out of debt. It's their lowest rate card, and it is a great tool to help you pay down debt faster. They also offer digital tools and educational resources to help guide your decisions. With Navy Federal, you can automate your savings and investing to put your money work for you even as you sleep. Plus, you can buy fractional shares. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Message and data rates may apply. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment options are available through Navy Federal Investment Services and are not insured by NCUA. Hey there, stackers. I'm basement eavesdrop artist and personal massage chair shopper, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. In addition to several provisions for general welfare, the new act created a social insurance program designed to pay retired workers age 65 or older a continuing income after retirement. So who signed it into place? Well, on August 14th, 1935, and even though I just told you the date, you still don't know if it's Pierce or Roosevelt, do you? You have no clue. Anywho, the Social Security Act was signed into law by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, commonly known as FDR. I like this FDR thing. Let's try this. I'm JMND inviting you to sit back and hear the story of how GameStop and all the meme stocks maybe didn't happen the way you thought with Joe and the Wall Street Journal's Spencer Jacob. And we're so happy he's here with us to talk about a revolution that's maybe different than you think it is. Spencer Jacob joins us. How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, we are such fans of your work here, and it is just a delight that we get to talk to you. But this is about a topic that was something my, my brother-in-law was in on this. He was in on the the Wall Street Bets Forum. He, at one point, had a, I think the correct number is a bajillion dollars. And, right. and then if, if you're really zeros, is that yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's I like, forgetting, but then he lost a bunch of money afterwards. He was very furious at Robin hood, but your personal story I think is really incredible. Your personal story doesn't start with you and the work you do. It actually starts with your two sons. Can you tell me about that? Yep. I have three sons. One of them will have nothing to do with this, but two of them are on Reddit all the time. And my oldest boy, so he was a senior in college at the time. This is January 25th, 2021, kind of the few hours before the media kind of picked up that this craziness was happening with GameStop Mania. He's like, hey, dad, are you going to write about GameStop? He's home because of COVID. And I was home because of COVID. And uh, I was like, why would I write about that? Well, my friend bought the stock and you see it's going up. And like, I checked it out and I said, yeah, like I've seen a lot of these things go up because Wall Street Bets mentions it. But I advised him to sell soon. He said, no, 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 he's not going to sell, which piqued my curiosity. So I started reading through the board and I saw that like th this was a squeeze or a corner really in the making by all these people on the board, which was something completely different, obviously. Uh, it's not just that these stocks went up a lot. It's just what they tried to do, that they temporarily completely ambushed these, these hedge funds and they lost billions of dollars. And that was really the intent. That was job one. Job two was making money. Job one was making other people lose money. 
you know, within hours, you know, a publisher was, was interested in, in me writing a book about it, basically. Like it was, it was clearly a pretty big deal. Well, but, but you looked at it almost from the beginning as, as something different than a lot of people did. I mean, most people, as you know, were my brother-in-law was, Hey, we're sticking it to the man. We are sticking it to the hedge funds. We're showing wall street, Spencer, who's in charge. So how about sticking it to McDonald's this way? Here's an analogy. I hate McDonald's. How about Everybody in the country that's on this board, like 8 million people, 10 million, we all go to McDonald's at the same time, all order a Big Mac at the same time. And then those guys are going to run out of Big Macs and they'll be in such huge trouble, right? That's kind of what they did. I mean, we'll they, buy, we'll buy I, so much of what you're offering that, right, <laughs> that you're in that, super that you trouble. can't sell any more of it. Ha. Huh. And they're going to have to hang up a sign and say, no Big Macs every, at every McDonald's in the country. And won't they be in trouble? I mean, the thing is, Wall Street is a big place. There were a few people on Wall Street who, who lost a lot of money. And there were a lot of people on Wall Street who made a lot of money. And on balance, that week and that month and really the whole eight or nine months leading up to it, when you had this explosion in retail trading, was a great time for Wall Street. It was a great time for brokers, great time for the people who process their trades, especially. It was a great time for hedge funds, for investment banks. You know, if you don't like Wall Street, and I get it why there are young people who don't like Wall Street, giving them a bunch of money is not really a way to hurt them. You know, it hurt a couple of people in particular. And and there are like these kind of conspiracy theories about like, oh, well, you know, we're going to bankrupt them. And we're, you know, th- th- there's like second and third and fourth and fifth iterations of this still going on today that there are phantom shorts and we're going to, we're going to show them. And there's going to be the mother of all short squeezes. And it's like, no, there isn't. And, and you're not, especially not just investing, but like investing in a really active, reckless way is really profitable for some people on Wall Street who you might not like, by the way. Well, you talk about that, uh, you know, Jack Bogle before this, Wall Street really had a problem. You write that, that yeah. Jack Bogle and Vanguard and others in the community had convinced people that, you know, index fund investing is the way to go. And trading seemed to be something that people didn't want to do. So this kind of helped Wall Street solve a problem. Yeah, you had two things. You had that going on. You people basically had had seen that paying Wall Street a lot of money for returns that they weren't really going to get you, that they sort of, you know, wrapped up in a lot of mumbo jumbo was not the way to go. And so Wall Street had a problem. And it was this technology and this competition that made all that possible, right? But the same technology and competition made Robinhood possible. It made zero dollar commissions possible. It made this this frenzy of trading possible. All of a sudden, you had this app in your hand. You could trade, you know, I'm putting that in quotation marks, uh, free. You could trade as, you know, as much as you want. It was a, this fun game. You got the information right away. You had all these these people on social media who'd kind of tell you what to do. And it was like this kind of golden era, but it wasn't. I mean, the technology that made it possible to really beat Wall Street, which is just to kind of pay them as little as possible and engage with them as little as possible, also made it possible for this this just crazy wave of speculation, right? And and the other thing that was happening was that young people were not really into finance until a few years before the story begins. They were they were not into even opening four hundred one ks when they had jobs that that had them. They were not into saving money. And all of a sudden, you had more than ten million young people get in and open accounts, which would be a good thing if they did it in a different way, right? But not, I didn't, like, not but, this way. But you know, it's funny, Spencer. I didn't plan to ask you this, but but I kind of have a hypothesis about this that even though. You know, you build a phenomenal argument that that this is the wrong way to invest, that, you know, Vegas, I love your line that Vegas has has noises when people win big for a reason, right? I mean, Vegas is still going to win, but they make sure that you know when somebody, hey, did the wrong thing and bet a bunch of money and quote, won big, and they're probably going to give it back before the night's over. But 
when I was 20, I was interested in buying a bunch of stuff. I had no interest in stocks. You talk about your sons and maybe it's the wrong approach at first, but it mm-hmm. seems to me that after getting their butt kicked a little bit, they're far more familiar with it by the time they reach 25, 30 than I certainly was. Is this, is this still a good thing or is this a bad thing that they learn of uh, so many people learn to trade in the wrong way? You know, it depends, right? Because, you know, one of the guys I spoke to uh, for the book runs uh, a robo advisor called Betterment. And he was telling me all these stories about, you know, he's an Ivy League educated guy, you know, took economics and he invested in Enron right before it went bankrupt and did other pretty dumb stuff too. So I guess that's true, right? You're going to make some mistakes and that tuition is going to be kind of painful and kind of expensive, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. So some people are going to be see that this is probably not the way to go. Uh, they have an account open already. They know you know what a stock ticker is, and they have some idea about finance, and they're going to do it. And I think that's unfortunately it's going to be a minority of, of young people who, yeah. who do that. There are going to be some people for whom it's a much more expensive lesson, right? Because the lesson that they're going to get is that Wall Street is rigged and crooked, and that's the reason that I lost money, not because I I did dumb stuff, but because Wall Street is rigged and crooked. I'm not going to engage with it, and I'm not going to. I'm going to just put money in the bank or, or not save money at all. And, you know, over 40 years, over the next 40 years of their lives, that's going to cost them a huge potential amount of money. Right. And then there's some small minority of people who are bitter and are just going to keep plowing money into this stuff for a while. Like people who are like buying all gambling, these out of the money like a gambling addiction. Yeah. Yeah. They, they say that three to 4% of people who, who enter a casino and spend any amount of time there will develop a, a problem gambling habit. That's a remarkably high percentage. And I, I think that it's not, not very different, especially if, if you look at these, these smartphone apps and they're not going to go away. They're not going to, you can't force them to make them less interesting. They're very, very similar to, to gambling apps. I mean, for a reason, I think, you know, is because they, they trigger the same emotions. They trigger the same FOMO. They trigger the same kind of near miss effect where like, you know, the slot machine, Oh, if that cherry had just been one bar lower, I would have hit the jackpot. Like that's what they want you to think that it was like a really close call. And all all those psychological biases kind of keep you in the casino and there's no clock either. (laughs) Free drinks. There's no free drinks in the stock market, unfortunately. (laughs) Right. I mean, but I mean, that's the, you know, you you can see all the psychological underpinnings are are there for people who are going to be vulnerable to it. And some people just chemically are. Let's dive in the way that you dive in in chapter one to this with the congressional investigation and kind of work backwards. And I think just for today, Spencer, we just introduce people to the players and what was going on. And then you dive way, way deeper into this than we can. And it's so flipping fascinating to put it, to put it bluntly. But let's start off with the congressional investigation. How many people that were at this uh, congressional hearing, how many of these people broke a law? Nobody broke a law. Not a single person broke a law. As far as I can tell, Obviously, things might emerge in the sure. future. Nobody broke a law, but there was outrage. The day that the congressional hearings were called was the day that Robin Hood said, we have to restrict trading in this handful of stocks that everyone's been buying. Sorry. They didn't explain really why very well initially, and they just got raked over the coals. And they were suddenly seen as colluding with hedge funds and trying to save them. And that's certainly what it looks like, right? Because you know, the, the story was that these traders were giving Wall Street a, a black eye that they were going to bankrupt these hedge funds. And then they kind of got thrown a lifeline because their main broker, the broker that more of them used than anybody else, wouldn't allow them to buy the stocks. They could sell, but not buy. So it truly so, was. It truly was not Robin Hood's fault. You know what? It was Robin Hood's fault because they did their job too well. They got people too excited. They stoked the fire too much. And 
they just weren't prepared for the wave because it broke. I mean, I don't want to kind of get into the whole geeky yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. reasons behind, but there's a reason that they, they had to come up with a, a tremendous amount of money that they never could have come up with unless they did this like $3 billion and they would have been out of business and they would have caused a cascade of losses across the whole industry. So they, they had to do this, but it's their fault. They stoked it. They saw what they were doing. They just like stoked it too much. They were too successful. Somebody had a great way of putting it. He said, Robin Hood, Robin Hooded, Robin Hood. That's kind of what they did, right? I mean, I, I think Packy McCormick is, is the man who gets credit for that. I think that's a fantastic way of putting it. And so they didn't break the law, but it, it's kind of their fault. Yeah. We'll get back to Vladimir Tenev because he was there that day. But let's start where you begin with Keith Gill. Who is Who is Keith Gill and how does he figure into all of this? Well, he is the most fascinating and most sympathetic character in this whole story. Keith Gill is a guy, he was 34 years old at the time this hearing was called, was called you know, to testify in Washington, had not done anything wrong as far as I'm concerned. He was basically out there on social media and then later on YouTube touting his position in GameStop. He took this incredibly risky but far-sighted bet on GameStop where he put, you know, he's not a rich man, put $53,000 of his own money into call options, really risky, long-dated call options on GameStop. Because and this, is, and this by the way, not to interrupt Spencer, but this is long before, like this is September of 2019. Yeah. And it's so funny because you look back at the, the post that he was making there and he's making these very sober arguments. And then at one point he had doubled his money and people are like, well, dude, sell. And he's like, no, that would be whatever. And, you know, people are like, you're, you're an idiot. You're going to lose all your money. They were making fun of him. The few people who engaged with him were making fun of him. Right. And then somebody said, like, went back later and amended their comments. So, well, this, this aged like a glass of milk in the Mojave <laughs> desert in the middle of July. Right. I mean, there was, you know, because they, then, you know, then when we get almost to the time the story gets really exciting, all of a sudden people noticed all these posts he had made about GameStop and the short squeeze looked like it was going to happen. And then he became the hero because he had been holding all this time. And and he changed his message from being cerebral, which as we know, doesn't get any response on social media. If you're cerebral and well-reasoned, and he just posted memes and started posting pictures of his, uh, his E-Trade account, which grew and grew. He made a thousand times his money at one point. I mean, and he wouldn't sell, which was just so ballsy, right? And so that that got him the respect of this community. And so he became kind of the Pied Piper by accident, even though he had been touting the stock all along. You know, he was he was a hero. And it was ridiculous for him to have to testify. But of course, that's why people tuned in because everyone wanted to see and hear him. The place where he was doing this was on on Reddit and the Wall Street Bets forum. You also mentioned that uh, Steve Huffman was there from Reddit. I I love some of the, some of the quotes, Spencer, that you have uh, from Steve from that day because he's very blunt about yeah. what Reddit is and what Reddit is not. You know, I I like Reddit. You know, as a as a service, and there's a reason my sons are on it. It's a great, fun community. It's different than other social media in in some key ways can be very useful, but he was a little arrogant. And I think a lot of people on in Silicon Valley tend to be arrogant because it's kind of this move fast and break things culture. And he's like, no, I think, you know, I mean, he didn't do anything wrong necessarily, but you know, a lot of these forums do say bad things and do bad things and get people to do bad things. Right. And he, he wouldn't admit that. And he actually took the opposite tack. He said, the advice, I think the advice that you get on wall street bets is as good or better than anything you'll hear, you know, from professionals like, no, it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, these, the people who you're most likely to hear from on social media are not the the best informers. Joe, let's say you went and posted something. And I know you're a very well-informed guy and you know a lot about personal finance. And you put something about personal finance on Reddit that was well-reasoned and whatever. And don't put more than 5% of your money in yada, yada and diversify, right? And then somebody else said, 
put 150% of your money into crypto and, you know, YOLO bet it, right? Whose post is going to rise to the top? Whose post is going to be upvoted? Uh, not uh, yeah, yours. Not your, yours is not going to be visible. And that post is going to be really visible because it's crazy. That's what social media is. You have the kind of the most kind of extreme. And then if it's a third person who doesn't know anything, who's totally like, well, I want to invest my money. They're not going to see your, your post, Joe. They're going to see that other post. And they're going to say, well, I, I came to this forum and this is supposedly where they talk about investing. I, I guess maybe I should do that because that's what everybody seems to be talking about, right? So no, I don't think that it's a good influence at all. I mean, I think you, he should at least admit that. Uh, I don't think it's his fault, but you know, he's not blameless either, right? I mean, it's yeah. not it's not a good place to find out how to invest. It's, I'm it's, sorry, it's, it isn't. You know. It's not like having a well reasoned person sitting next to you to telling you what to buy and not buy. Uh, no, something totally- folks, listen to this podcast to find out how to manage your finances <laughs> and others like it. I don't know about that. We are still in mom's basement, so who knows? Okay. <laughs> maybe someday we'll we'll be that. You know, it's funny because we give Robinhood a bunch of crap all the time. Which makes me love the name Robinhood because th- there's nothing about that app to me that is uh, take from the rich and give to the poor. I don't know that that app has anything to do with that. But what I get some pushback from people about is they're like, why do you pick on Robinhood so much? Because they're pretty new. Robinhood's not new, Spencer. And you write about, I mean, Robinhood, what, 2012, 2013, about the same time as Reddit? Yeah, 2013 as Wall Street Bet within a year of Wall Street Bets being okay. started as a forum. Uh, Reddit Reddit started a few years before that, but sure. yeah, Wall Street Bets uh, got started around the same time. They grew hand in hand. They grew in tandem. And Robinhood, so they got started in 2013. They the they launched in 2015. They had a huge waiting list. Lots of people because the app is so beautiful and so intuitive. They had a huge waiting list. One out of every two brokerage accounts opened in the U.S. over a five year period was opened with them. So. They got big pretty quickly. They weren't big because they got big in terms of the number of accounts, but the median account had 240 bucks, in oh, yeah. it, which is not a lot of money yeah. compared to uh, putting it mildly compared to Schwab or Fidelity, right? So it was like the small money people, but that's their audience. That's their tribe. The people who put 50 bucks or a hundred bucks into an account and, you know, going to want to see what happens and want to have some fun. So they're not talking to their wealth planners and having whatever and buying value added services. That's that's not Robinhood. The way they make money is you trade. Eighty percent of their money uh, in twenty twenty, which was a great year for them, was selling your orders to market makers. The that's, more you, business you did, the more they made. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. You said earlier in this interview, and you also say in the book that that the app is free. But you said today you're like I say this in quotes free. You write in mm-hmm. the book in quotes free. How is Robinhood in quotes free and not just free without those quotes? It's the same way that uh, your Facebook page is in quotes free, right? If something is free, then you're the product. You know, if all the the pictures of your kids and all the things you click on and whatever, and all the information and your birthday and all that stuff and your demographic information is very useful to, to Facebook, even though they don't charge you anything for it. And all the trading that you do on Robinhood is useful to them. And so their incentive is to get you to trade as much as possible. And they have a, a number of, of ways to, to do that. And I, I would say that, I mean, of course, there's some subset of Robinhood customers that are kind of free riders. I would encourage you to be a free rider on a service like Robinhood. Go in, check it very infrequently, trade very infrequently, buy, you know, index funds or index mutual funds, things like that is what I would recommend or some broad portfolio. Don't mess with it. But some subset of their investors is hyper, hyper active and they make money every time they trade, every time they buy, every time they sell, they make some fractions of a penny off of that because they sell it and they induce you to sell by saying, Hey, here's what's trending. Here are people, these are what people are talking about. Here are the stocks that are up. Well, 
is that helpful information? It's kind of, yeah, but it's there to induce FOMO, right? By showing you what everybody else is doing, young people especially kind of want to see why they're doing it. And, oh, this is up a lot. This is down a lot. I better do something, right? That's the name of the game. And hey, here's some random confetti. They discontinued that uh, after being being sued. But here's some confetti. Uh, here's a free share of stock for opening an account. Oh, did you get a friend to open an account? Here's a free share of stock for that you again and for them. And oh, what stock? Well, it could be a $5 stock, but it could be a $50 stock. Isn't that a nice lottery ticket? Right. So there's a lot of clever marketing that goes into it that gets you to do what they need you to do, which is to trade a lot. And Every study done on the subject, every single study, the more often you check your account, and the more often you trade, the worse you do, the worse your results are. Of course, you know, individual results will vary, but right. statistically, you are, you are hurting yourself. They talk a lot about democratizing trading. And, and you write that one congressperson at the hearing said, there's an innate tension in your business model between democratizing finance, which is a noble calling, and being a conduit to feed fish to sharks. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is this idea of democratizing trading? What does that really mean? And not just marketing lingo. Listen, I mean, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, that was a, the best quote by anybody. That was the, I think the wisest quote uh, in that, that hearing. Sean Caston, uh, representative from Illinois, good on you. Um, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger went out, you know, they have nothing to gain by bashing Robin. Who cares, right? They're, you know, both men in their 90s. They've given some great financial advice and they said, this is like racetrack betting. I hope there's not more of it. And, you know, and Robin Hood came out and attacked these guys and said, well, they just want, you know, they're like at the top of the food chain and they don't want people to be able to achieve the same success. Like what? You know, that's a very, very convenient argument for them to say, to wrap themselves in mom and apple pie and the American flag and say, we're democratizing finance and you're just trying to keep people from getting on the ladder. I think that the financial services industry loves to see people get on the ladder, but it loves to see people do dumb stuff and pay them a lot of money. That's what it likes. It doesn't want people to get on the ladder and then just do the smart thing, which is just to, to get the most out of it and put the least into it. That really, really bothers me. And at the same, the same time, like when Facebook and whatever, they say, well, it's First Amendment and, you know, we're, we're doing our best. And when there were like, you know, people trying to subvert elections and give misinformation about all kinds of things and lying and fake news, and then they're kind of defending themselves and wrapping themselves in the First Amendment. Come on. I mean, it's a big business for you. You know, you're, it costs a lot of money to monitor this stuff and you don't want to monitor it. And some of it goes viral and you like that. Just admit it, right? I mean, you know, it's the same thing. I, I've got two more people I want to ask you about and I'm going to lump them together because we kind of see these people as, I guess, collectively Darth Vader in this story, which is uh, Gabriel Plotkin and Ken mm -hmm. Griffin. Tell me about these two gentlemen. So Gabe Plotkin is the big loser in this story. Gabe Plotkin is a very successful, one of the most successful hedge fund managers. And he had the misfortune of having a very large short position. A short position is a position where instead of your gains being unlimited, like in a normal stock, his losses were unlimited. And he, he never expected GameStop to go from two bucks and change he to thought, he thought like three dollars Yeah, he thought like a lot yeah. of a Spencer that GameStop was going to fail. I mean, you point out their business model yeah. at the time was horrible. Nobody's buying discs. If I want to get on my yeah. Xbox and buy a video game, I can just click a button. That's right. That's right. GameStop was like Blockbuster three years before Blockbuster went bust. That's, that's kind of what it was. And that's why he was so comfortable betting against it. But he and other people on Wall Street kind of walked into a trap because they they were too heavily short. They basically had left themselves exposed and they just never imagined that this would happen. So that's, that's on him. You know, I mean, who could have seen this coming, but I mean, you know, you go back and there were signs he was being talked about specifically, his fund was being talked about. They should have kind of 
taken some chips off the table, but they didn't. Oh, well, they lost $6 billion. Uh, he didn't do anything bad. But short sellers, short sellers were a really vital part of the ecosystem, by the way, of finance. OK, so they they get a, a bad rap. He's not exclusively a short seller. He likes it when the stock market goes up like most of us do. Right. I mean, yeah, but this is just part of his strategy. It's a little part of his strategy, but it gave him a huge loss, lost more than half his investors money. Like Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin is on both sides of the story because Ken Griffin runs uh, one of the largest, most successful hedge funds. And that's called Citadel. But then he has a company called Citadel Securities that he's the major uh, shareholder of that is the largest processor of these trades. So instead of Robinhood's trades going to a stock market where they get filled and that's it, he, that's one of the firms that pays Robinhood money for them sending you them your trades. He was, uh, yeah, he, he's like kind of been turned into this villain. I mean, he also did not do anything wrong. There are all these allegations that he that he lied, that he intervened, that he did it to save his hedge funds, that he was really the guy behind trading being halted, you know, and it looks bad because he gave a bunch of money to Gabe Plotkin when he, you know, when his fund took a big hit, he processed these trades. There were some communications between people at Robinhood and Citadel Securities, right? I think they probably talk every day, sure, you know, but right. there were some, you know, they're, oh, look, it's a smoking gun. He intervened. No, why would, why, first of all, why would he intervene? Business was like, going gangbusters that week. Business was fantastic for his firm, both of his firms, right? Why would he throw a wrench into the machine and stop it? Think about the incentives there. Like, it just makes no sense. But he, this is the funniest thing ever, and it happened too late, unfortunately, to make it into my book. There's a lot of stuff in the book. This was too too late, so I'm just going to tell you here, is then, like, of course, then all this stuff morphed into crypto, right? And there was this co- group called Constitution DAO yeah, that tried to yeah. buy a copy of the Constitution. <laughs> like, oh, my God, this I almost, like, I almost choked laughing so hard when this came out, right? And then they raised all this money. But, of course, it was they didn't really think about, it. what if somebody outbid them, right? They raised all this money to buy a copy of the Constitution and then tokenize it or whatever the hell they do. And then they were outbid by somebody. Oh, some rich person outbid them. Now, giving the money back, you basically, like, the transaction fees are so high that like getting your money back is just almost impossible through this thing. Like, oops. Meanwhile, then it turned out who, who bought it was Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bought the constitution. I and think I read that by the way, initially from you. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I was, you can't make this up, right? There's a lot of stuff you can't make up. Truth is, is really stranger than fiction sometimes. So yeah, that I felt like at the time, and I don't know if there's any truth to this. I certainly felt at the time when they got outbid by him, that it was him kind of giving them the finger. I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say, yeah. And Steve Cohen, uh, who's the majority owner of the Mets, who also gave uh, Gabe Plotkin some money. Gabe Plotkin used to work for him. Also, like he, he just, he had to go off of Twitter for a while because he was getting attacked, but he was like, you know, he was, he was kind of taunting them during the week when things kind of took a turn for the worse. Hey, hard, tough trading out there, guys. And <laughs> you should do, you, you don't do that. You don't taunt the, these people on, on social media, you know, and he's, you know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so he, I, I think he did it on purpose. Um, it was, it was funny. You make a point. I think that, that it sounds like this isn't going to happen again to Wall Street traders. Like Wall Street traders, you know, uh, they learn quickly, right? I mean, these people are yeah. pros for a reason. Is it possible for them to be blindsided in this way again? I mean, it's of course, it's anything's possible, right? And I think that you've seen the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth attempt to do this with different stocks. Let's all buy. Let's not hold. Diamond hands. Don't sell. And, we'll, you know, they see you coming, right? They have written software that uses natural language processing that reads Reddit and even 
listens to the videos on TikTok and YouTube faster than you can and interprets them for what they are and then weeds out the fake stuff. And they have like a red light, like go off in their bat cave when you're trying to do this. Okay. So I don't think, and I recently saw a stat that 85% of hedge funds subscribe to services like this. I've spoken to people like, yeah, yeah, I get a whole report every day. It just you know, reminds me, by the way, Spencer, I had to take at one point a defensive driving class because I had too many speeding tickets. And, <laughs> and, and when I did that, I learned all this fascinating stuff about police officers. And what I learned was even if they're busy doing something else in their car, they have noises that tell them when somebody's going over the speed limit. It's already set. So it's kind of like your bat cave analogy that you drive by a police car and you're speeding and you think you got away with something and they didn't notice you. The police officer who was leading this course said they noticed you. They just had something more important than you to do, (laughs) which is, which is kind of the way I feel about this. When I was reading you talking about this, about these algorithms, the software, like now, if you think you're getting one over on wall street, that no, they see you. They probably just have a bigger fish than you. Yeah. And listen, to be clear, you know, these hedge fund guys, they're smart, but they're not that smart. Right. I mean, they, most years, hedge funds can't even beat the S&P 500 yeah. as a group, right? So they're very, very smart guys, but their brain power kind of cancels each other out. And they're not really, they're more worried about retail than they used to be, but they're not very worried about retail. Like they, you go on these message boards and they're like, this is an epic battle to the end and we shall smite them and whatever for this, this stock that's like a you know, failing theater chain and the hedge funds don't care. There are thousands of stocks. There are other things they invest in. They are not watching. You know, their people are, I guess, you know, their interns and their computers are reading your message board. They do not care. Your funny meme is not, you know, not making them cry. You know, I mean, it's like they've got bigger fish to fry and they, they have to worry about each other. Every writer that I talk to when they do a project like this, Spencer, they, they have an aha during it. Well, not everyone, but mostly there's some aha. There's something they learned. There's something that surprised them that they didn't expect what didn't you expect while you were writing this? What surprised you while writing it? You know, the most shocking thing to me was how Wall Street rewards recklessness. I already kind of knew that, that like, if you trade a lot, if you do wild things, then you're not likely to do that that well. And your your loss is someone else's gain. But they explicitly reward it. Like, if you look at brokers that have clients that are inexperienced, that don't use limit orders, that buy stocks with high spreads and trade frequently and buy a lot of options, those brokers get paid more for their trades, right? So they're explicitly saying, oh, we like your clients. Yeah, let's keep that coming. That that should tell you everything, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> what else is there to say? I think that's it. The book is the revolution that wasn't, it was a fantastic read. It's I flew through this book just because I, I I couldn't put it down. My wife kept asking me. She says she's like, is it, "Are you?" And it, it, well, I, I won't even get into it. But there's so many phenomenal stories here. Books available everywhere. Thanks a ton. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, I'm Mr. Wow, and I'm Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday. And when we're not eating waffles, we're stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Spencer Jacob for sharing a little bit of that story, OG. And like anything. There's what you're thinking is the truth at the time, and there's a little more behind the curtain going on than we thought. As there always is. Always is. I'm listening to a book right now on Audible called Business Adventures, and it goes through the last uh, corner on the market before they became illegal. 
it's the guy who owned Piggly Wiggly, who's really just trying to save his company out of Memphis. And for people that haven't heard this, and by the way, Business Adventures is a bunch of business stories, largely from the 50s, that still are applicable today. It starts off with the story of the Ford Etzel, which is just a phenomenal story. And then dives into so many different things. Uh, HP printers, uh, that's from the 60s, HP printers. But the story about this guy trying to save his company, super frustrating to watch how the Lords of Wall Street, OG, when things aren't going their way, shocker, they find a way to change the rules. Weird. Yeah. (laughs) I want to do it different. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, uh, oh, looks like a little guy might be winning. We're going to change things slightly. But in this case, I think the little guy often out there thinks that they thinks that they won and uh, some others along for the ride. Hey, let's uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline, tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, Doug. I got nothing, Joe. Chicken pot pie. Chicken pot, chicken pot, chicken pot pie. Chicken pot pie and a cup of java. It's a great breakfast. Breakfast of champions. Not sure how that works with the medical exam, but the cool thing is, is that with Haven Life, you're able to spend more time with your loved ones because of the fact that their application is simple. It's online. Prices are affordable. Get an instant coverage decision. Not all that waiting. Not tons of questions they already know the answer to. Stackingbenjamins.com slash Haven Life. The best thing, OG, you finally get this done, right? So many people out there know that they need to get their life insurance in place. Let's get it rolling, peeps. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our friend, Sarah. Say hi, Sarah. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Sarah from Richmond, Virginia. I called a while back, and I definitely wouldn't want to ruin your reputation with the other listener by implying that I learned anything. So I'll just say I've been working out a lot at the gym, and it's time for that double XL t-shirt. Anyways, my question is this. In my job at work, I've been assigned a role to help some individuals with some very fundamental aspects of finance. Some of these individuals are unbanked. And one of the first lessons I want to talk about is opening a checking account. I'm less concerned about finding something with a high interest rate and more interested in finding banks with accounts that don't have minimum balance requirements or direct deposit requirements in order to avoid fees. These individuals do not necessarily have high incomes, and some of them struggle a little bit with technology. So online banks are not necessarily the best option. What would you suggest? Should I look at local credit unions? Should I consider big banks and try to find accounts that don't have fees or requirements? Does that even exist? I'd love to hear your thoughts and look forward to my double XL t-shirt. Bye. <laughs> wow. Sun's out, guns out, Sarah. Sounds like Sarah's been really working out. Congratulations. Sarah bragging about the gym, a little nice flex there. But you know what, Sarah? We're just going to send you a code so you can uh, just brag to all your friends about the badass swag that you got from the Stacking Benjamin show, whatever size you want. Oh, gee, there's some good news here for Sarah because I know that even some of the big banks lately have begun waiving this very onerous overdraft fee. Like I've seen, I've seen this in the news a lot the last three weeks, which is surprising and about flipping time. Yeah, I think that some of those kind of nuisance things are going away. 
the problem that I think that Sarah's going to run into here is is kind of the best of both worlds. I want to be able to go to the bank and take advantage of all the services of the in-person stuff without paying any costs associated with that. The reason that there's such a change to online and you're seeing more and more banks getting rid of fees associated with monthly account minimums and that sort of thing is because the cost structure of being online is a lot different. And so if you can't use the technology side of it, you're going to run into an issue of, you know, a per check cashing fee or, you know, a $10 monthly service fee just for not having direct deposit or something like that in the vast majority of cases. Even I mean, even the credit union that we belong to has, I don't know, $7 or something like that a month for their banking, you know, relationship if you don't have direct deposit. So... So I don't think that you can do both. I think you have to adopt one of those things. You either have to say like, well, we're going to take advantage of the technology. So we're going to use mobile deposit and we're going to find a bank that is online. Then I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Or it's going to be, I think, quite an uphill battle to to search through, you know, whatever's in your area to find a to find a branch that is willing to get rid of all of those extra costs because you're going to be taking advantage of you know, the in-person stuff, the stuff that we're trying to get rid of. <laughs> they still, there's, you know, if they want to still support it, that's totally fine, but it's got to cost something. And some, and usually they do that in, in minimum, you know, balances or something. So, you know, uh, and I got to amend what I said, uh, uh, bank of America did not get rid of their fees. They trimmed them from 35 to 10, their overdraft fees. They eliminated non-sufficient fund fees along with fees for a program that lets customers automatically transfer money from one account to another to cover overdrafts. They were going to charge you for that. Yeah, that, to, was, that was the $35. That it, yeah. Know. Wells Fargo the same day said that it would ease up on fees by eliminating NSF fees and transfer fees and give customers a one-day grace period to avoid the overdraft. And Chase, the nation's largest bank, said in December it would add a one-day grace period to avoid overdraft fees and also provide customers earlier access to money they get via direct deposit. Online banks, to your point, OG, largely have gotten rid of a lot of those already. And there's a lot of exciting options. I, I know this is a topic I'm maybe giving a spoiler. Spoiler alert for Friday's show. There's some banking discussion going on. But the stuff that drives me crazy is how it, it, you know, if you go to deposit your check, they're like, yeah, cool. You can have the money in two days. It's like two days. The money, co- if I write a check from myself to myself in one, you know, out of from one account to another, I can see it leave the account that night. You know what I mean? I can send my brother... $10,000 on Apple Pay in four seconds. Like, why in the heck can't I transfer money from one bank to another without it taking two freaking days? And the reason for that is because if they, if they, you know, that extra one day hold on to your money without letting you use it, that extra one day multiplied by, you know, 30 million customers, multiplied by all the transactions that happen, gets Bank of America or whatever bank, you know, that extra little bit of margin every single day. And, and, uh, yeah. Oh, gee, that is part of the reason. Another part of that, the reason why, hey, I can transfer money between my accounts and I can see it immediately or I can transfer money to a friend of mine and I can see that it, you know, it's there. But to actually do the transfer of funds, it's such a high level of data processing that they need to do that at night to allow for their systems to handle the volume of data and transactions that's happening during the daytime for their their all their call it retail customers they have to hold some of that to process overnight so that is part of the reason why a lot of that happens at least with one day now why they need two days i think that what you just said i think factors in but there is a reason for the overnight it has to do with their ability to process all of those transactions and not impact their daytime well in 20 in 25 years ago when you were writing a check 
you had to physically deliver the check to the bank. I mean, that was the old school way of doing it. So yeah, it would take... Remember when you could like write a check for your water bill and be like, oh, I've got till Monday to get that money in there, you know? Because you knew it took so long for the bank to process the... Like literally process the check. And then in the mid-2000s, they came out with the ability to... You didn't have to actually physically present the check to the receiving institution or paying institution to to get funds. You could do it electronically. To your point, Doug, now the processing power went up a bajillion fold. But nevertheless, it doesn't have to be two days. It doesn't have to be three. It doesn't have to be. It can Correct. be. It can be. It, at worst, it can be overnight. And I might right. throw a little bit of shade on your processing power because I totally would. My <laughs> God, if well, if it's I not- can. If we can front run <laughs> trades, no, no, no. But it's not. With, it, it's not about. It's not about the power of the CPU. Let's say it has to do with what has to go. They have to batch up all of those transactions in a way that the receiving bank needs to have them. And can you do that instantly and in, on each and every transaction? Yes, you can. But you also have millions and millions and millions of other transactions that are happening during the day that do need to be more real time, or that their expectation is that they are more real time. Whether it's actual. Re- retail stores or business to business or other transactions that need to happen or that they want to have happen immediately during the day. There is extra steps that need to go on from a data perspective to package that data up in the way so that Bank of America can package it in a way to send it to another bank in the way that they need to receive it. That It's not about the CPU power. It's about all of the effort and massaging that has to happen. So that the other bank can rearrange those in a way so they can maximize the overdraft expense for the customer. <laughs> That's exactly what happens in my bank. Look, I'm not trying to defend them. Don't get me wrong here. I'm just saying there's more to it than just the nefarious uh, you know, we want to make a couple extra bucks off you. It's in there. It's. I totally agree that that's baked in, but there's also some more tedious. And there's no incentive to fix it. There is it. no incentive to fix it. There's incentive to to make sure your your commodity trader on the 17th floor can have, you know, fiber optic trading powers to make an extra penny per trade. Absolutely, instantaneously. Yeah. But but there's no incentive to make sure that Doug's check to OG is cashed in a reasonable time to make it so that OG doesn't overdraft. Once again, OG has gotten to the bottom of this. I think that's an excellent point is the capability is there. There's just not the motivation. But I think the lesson here, Sarah, is it's it's not about the name of the bank. It's about the questions that you need to ask about what are the fees on these different uh, types of transactions? What's the usability? How easy is it to use? I'm with you on credit unions. Obviously, we like credit unions. That's why Navy Federal is our is a sponsor of the show, is because we really like credit unions and the value add that they give to their not just their members, but if you know how credit unions work, they're also owners. So I'm a big fan there as well. But I think it's mostly OG about the questions you ask. Yeah, there would be one other thing that I would mention, which would be to say you might be able to create a program on your own if it's a big enough group and go to a community bank or go to the credit union and say, "Hey, our organization." is trying to do this thing and we need your help with it. Can you create a program that's special for oh, our Oh, that's a good idea to help teach people. Yeah. And there might be something that a local community bank or credit union might be interested in. Yeah. Imagine the upside for them as well. Uh, that helps everybody. Thanks for that question. If you've got a question for us, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail and uh, you'll leave your email there so that Gertrude can also send you uh, whatever size shirt you want <laughs> made by our good friend, Brad, who... I'm sporting actually from our store, stackingbenjamins.com slash store, the uh, mug today for the From the Basement uh, 50s show with OG, that lovable scamp. I think it's my favorite part of that one. Is there anything obscene on the bottom of that mug? 
There, there is, there is, there is nothing. We should, we, we should put a little, a little like something on the bottom of the mug though. That's disappointing. That'd be as if we do things like, uh, you know, have hidden tracks on shows, but we don't do any of that. So that's not us. No. All right. That's going to do it for today. Hey, last but not least, uh, once again, you've got just over a week to get in on our uh, referral contest for the 201 stack of Benjamins.com slash 201 for that. We're hitting the road starting March 1st. More dates announced where we're going to be, what time we're going to be there. 40 cities across the U.S. Hopefully you can come hang out with us, stackingbenjamins.com slash stacked. We'll give you tour information and more. And uh, last but mostly not least, if you need none of that, you just need to make better decisions. Think bigger about your goals. Head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG because he and his team are taking clients and that'll lead you to his team's calendar so that you can get that process started. Coming up on Wednesday, our great friend Nicole Lappin is back. <laughs> Love Nicole Lappin. I always laugh. I'm laughing now just thinking about Nicole coming. She's always got so much great stuff to say. She always busts through a lot of the jargon and the crap in the financial industry. Just a delightful person to talk to. That's on Wednesday's show. But Doug, you got it from your man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, NFTs and crypto are not some kind of Willy Wonka magical machine that makes you free money. But thanks anyway, TikTok pseudo-math guru guy. Second, just because something is new and sounds fantastic doesn't mean it is. Unless you're Pete Davidson and you got a new girlfriend. But the big lesson... If you want to retire in the big boy chair that has a setting called the big one, you got to take responsibility for your own future. And you can do it. Thanks to Spencer Jacob for being with us today. His book, The Revolution That Wasn't, is available everywhere, but only if you're spending real hard dollars. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022 and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Remember kids, sun's out, guns out.
You know, I got this special new coffee mug given to me, and I thought you guys for sure would be commenting on it, but not yet. It's out of frame. Well, it's been in frame a hundred times on this recording. Nobody said anything about mine. Right. I already knew you had that. You were so excited when you got that, you sent me an image of it and said, look what I'm getting. I know. That's it's awesome. a coffee mug with a bad word on it. <laughs> it's funny. My kids are going to laugh. I sent uh, Joe on Instagram. Are you not on Instagram still, Doug? I'm still not on Instagram. Okay. It's the only the only demonstration of self-restraint that I've exercised in the last two years is taking myself off Instagram. Uh, off Instagram? Yeah. I was spending way too much time on it. It was it was purely, not because I didn't like content. I just spent way too much time. I was going to say, because I would leave Facebook before Instagram. The, I yeah, actually the, enjoy Instagram. Facebook, I, it's a labor of love. Yeah, I have, I've curated Facebook to get rid of a lot of the, the stuff that, you know, was really bothersome. And I feel like I'm kind of keeping up with stuff that I've known from years and years ago. Whereas Instagram, I wasn't getting as much of that. And I was just getting pretty pictures, which I love who doesn't, but that's why I backed off. Brian Feraldi said that he's done that with his Twitter feed, that he's changed his Twitter feed so that it's all happy and fun. I'm like that, that exists on Twitter, happy and fun. He's like, yeah, you just have to keep calling and calling. He's like, I get so excited about going to Twitter every every day, but it truly is having some restraint and going, yeah, I don't need to be angry. I'm just going to get rid of this person. Okay. So anyway, so here on Face of the Mug, have a great day, happy, supportive, encouraging, and then I take a drink. <laughs> and the bottom of the mug appears. And everybody gets my true feelings on the bottom of the yes, cup. Which, uh, which you can imagine peeps what that is. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.